This is episode 20 of Hoops Forum, a production of Radius Athletics and a quick timeout podcast. I'm Tony Miller, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Randy Sherman. Before we get into today's talk, I want to give a big shout out, big thanks to 323 Sports for sponsoring Hoops Forum. It's camp season. Just finished up my first week of camp. Exciting week. Lots of little kids. I think they all went home happy and we didn't lose anybody. So it was a successful week from from my standpoint. There's still some time if you want to get some camp t-shirt orders in. 323 Sports right now has a moisture management, one color tee, only $6.99 a piece. You can order that by visiting 323sports.com or contact a sales rep, sales at 323sports.com. They'll be sure to do it right for your sports program. Continuing today, our series on the impact of cognitive biases on our coaching. Last week, we talked about choice supportive bias and how we may sometimes either kind of exaggerate how great our decisions are or downplay how bad our decisions were. Uh, Is it accurate to say the crux of choice supportive bias is what's keeping us from moving on from a bad decision? I I couldn't sum it up better myself. I would say we're displaying choice supportive bias. If what's keeping us from moving on from a bad decision is just the fact that I made the decision, I want to save face and I don't want to look bad. We addressed some of the things that you can do to avoid those and kind of went detail into that last week. So if you want to listen to that full hoops form, you can visit Radius Athletics YouTube page. Or if you want to listen to the audio version, just search a quick timeout podcast. Today, though, our focus is on outcome bias. We teased this a little bit at the end of last week's episode. Let me just start very basically with that, Randy. Outcome bias, in your words, is what? Basing the quality of a decision on its outcome. We're going to talk a little bit more kind of detailed what that is. And I do want to start with how how that can pop up in our coaching. So where does outcome bias, where does this pop up in the conversations that you have with coaches? I'd say that that it pops up when we fail to really analyze our decisions as coaches in terms of situational relevance and quality. And we just sort of say a decision was good or bad, whether it worked or not. I think one thing that I look at a lot, I do it, you do it. A lot of content creators do it. They'll post a video of a, of a play on Twitter, like a, a set or a, a certain action or a great possession or something. And you know, they're, they're wanting to show the tactics and, and all that. And, and I learn a lot from doing that and, and consuming that. But I do, I, I have trained myself to watch a little closer, though, and maybe watch for, okay, this play or this action or, or, or this offense, if you will. We decided to post it or decided to uphold it to the, you know, share it with friends or whatever because of the favorable outcome that it got. Like, look at this awesome play it got at mm-hmm. They got a, a basket or a, a shot for the team. I've trained myself. I, I have to remind myself to look at, I watch the defense like, okay, now let's watch if this defender had, you know, done a little better job or if they hadn't botched this switch or if this guy didn't, you know, wasn't lost on defense, would this even be that air quotes good? So I think that's that's one thing coaches sort of fall prey to is they sort of look at situations based on the outcome and maybe not the actual quality of the situation or quality of the decision. At the end of the day, sports, basketball is, is an outcome industry. We, you know, it's, it's just win baby, right? Like just, just get it done, whatever it takes to win. 
we're judged by the outcomes in terms of win and losses of whether we have a good team or a bad team or further, whether someone's a good coach or a bad coach. That, that may be another way where it pops up in the coaching industry is, is we're, we're calling someone a good coach based on the outcomes of the games in which they coach, which that's certainly big part of their job and certainly is vital to their continued employment. But there's more to going into whether someone's a good coach, a good decision maker than just the outcomes. Going back to your first example, I have a perfect timing with this. I posted a play this week, probably the most popular play I've ever posted. I think it had like 100,000 views and over 1,000 likes and retweets. And if you look at the play, it was a really good action. We scored off of it. So like you said, the outcome was there as well. Mm -hmm. For people who saw it, they were probably looking more at like uh, the setup and Mm -hmm. what we did within Mm -hmm. the play and Mm -hmm. use some strategies that we talked about previously. But if I'm honest, the defense really wasn't that great. It was at a national tournament, so the team wasn't bad. But my point is there were other factors involved. And even though we're only a talk and a half into this conversation, something that stuck out to me is our decisions have to be informed beyond one or two factors. And in this case, the outcome of it. I feel heavily in our sports, we rely on just the outcome. So if we have success in it only takes a lot of people one time, then they're sold on it. Bigger conversation is being an informed coach and being mature in your thinking, understanding that there are multiple things that are influencing what's happening here and not allowing one bias to rule our decision making. Perfectly stated, I would say. There, there's also like this, this component of an inability to recognize the role of luck in sport that may be related to this conversation today, that chance and luck and things like that are also part of this. And I think we're on a quest as coaches to reduce or eliminate the the influence that luck or chance has on outcomes of, in our case, possessions or, or in, in ergo games. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's to not be ignored. You know, I, I, I do think that, you know, there's there's great examples of of where a team, maybe a defense does a lot of things right and just catches a lucky, an unlucky for their case. And the offense maybe catches a lucky break. I think, you know, Kawhi Leonard on the Toronto Raptors a couple years ago, the shot from the corner, like closely contested late, late, you know, they, they, everything. It's hard to say. I think it was Philadelphia did, did, did everything wrong. They right. or did everything right. It's hard to say they did much wrong. The ball hits the flange of the rim, like bounces up, nearly hits the shot clock. And then I think we're okay at at recognizing it. Like when we watch sports as a fan, even coaches, like I watch sports as a fan. I see like a Hail Mary pass in football and I'm like, oh, that got deflected three times. And like, man, what a bad break. But like, I bet the coach is going through that and going, man, we got to work on our Hail Mary defense or something like we got to fix Because there's just this sort of like inability to just chalk things up sometimes to chance, you know? Yeah, especially for younger coaches. You get beat by Hail Mary, then you're working on Hail Marys for 45 (laughs) minutes of practice the next time. I'll go bigger picture, and this may really touch some people. We got beat by a box and one. So we're now going to spend the entire rest of next practice working against a box and one. Like that may never, that may not pop up for three or four more games. Right. 
that could segue to another bias we might talk about later in this series, but I would call that action bias. And that's real quick. That's probably something too that we should mention. A lot of these are woven. Sure. One leads to the next one. Or you're, I mean, you're, this one, this just, week's was a natural progression. It led from last week's. Correct. And a lot of times, like we as humans are, are in, infallible, like we're, we're, we're fallible. We, we, we make mistakes. So you already brought up the play. Let's talk about another area, you know, shot selection. This is another great oh, yeah. example. And this is one that you can talk further about. And I want to mention this one because it seems like our coaching staff is thinking about this this time of year. What mm-hmm. should we do to mm-hmm. teach our players? What's a good shot? What's a great shot? What's a whatever kind of go through the thought process of, with the example of shot selection, the wrong way to go about making a decision and maybe a better way of going about that in relationship to here outcome biased. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Let's go back to when you asked me at the very beginning, what in layman's terms or my terms would be the definition or a summary of what outcome bias is. My answer was basing the quality of a decision on its outcome, like alone. We shot, it went in, that was good, missed, that was bad. When I would say that that that's falls short of, of of maybe what what I think we as decision makers would be better served to 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 judge out judge that differently. One thing that I've encouraged the coaches I've worked with to do that it helps them evaluate their execution of their offense. It helps them evaluate their, the understanding of their players of to what a good shot is, and that's to start maybe using a grading system. Some of these guys I work with have used some they've seen from PGC or other places. Some have sort of came up with their own homemade rubric for grading shot selection. But I would say that that let's start to grade the decision to shoot and how it fits with sort of our pillars, our profile that we want to achieve as, as an offense, as a program, and grade it against that. We certainly see guys make tough shots that's a part of the game. Sometimes that in, in certain possessions that that's happened, it's needed. But overall, what I wanted to encourage coaches to get to is a place where they're evaluating the shot based on the decision and the quality of that shot before we even know if it goes in or not. One way to do that, uh, I know someone you're familiar with and someone I've read is Brian McCormick. He who wrote a book that's influenced a ton of coaches, including myself small advantage, big advantage. One way to do that is to sort of like evaluate the quality of the shot based on those states, if you will, of that, that he describes in the book. Was a player open? Did he have a big advantage? Did she have a big advantage? If they have a small advantage, we want that shot to be at or near the rim. If we take a small advantage shot and we want to avoid neutral advantage shots where neither the offense nor the defense has the upper hand. It's just like maybe you know, I dribbled twice. I didn't beat my man. He's still right in front of me. I just take a pull-up shot over him. Those may be late in the shot clock up against the buzzer or something like that where you don't have the option. It may be okay, but like those are situations we want to minimize. So basing a decision based on those advantage states is an idea that a lot of coaches are moving towards. Man, some of the coaches I work with have I won't use the word elaborate, but very, very detailed ways that they're going about grading a shot the decision. With that comes sort of a releasing of attachment to the outcome. I heard a great phrase from a coach here in Texas named Matt Samen. Coaches, private school here in Texas, played at Baylor, really good coach. I learned this phrase from him, NATO, N-A-T-O, not not attached to outcome. 
that's where we need to maybe get to as coaches is like that that's hard though because like if if we're checking all the boxes in terms of decision yes a player we maybe we drove kicked it to a wide open player who's got space time they've got that big advantage state we're looking for and they and we're taking those shots repeatedly and they're not going in it's tough to just say okay well great that we're we're here to evaluate the decision and that was a good one so whatever that's sort of a hard release to surrender to as a coach so many factors even that can influence the shooting and whether a lot of times you're accounting for just even one side of the basketball whereas there could be defensive factors going Mm -hmm. beyond even what you think where my players are the height of the players the speed of a closeout and I think that goes to the bigger picture that we've talked about, which I want to transition to here at the end. You know, our segment called Beyond the Scoreboard, we presented by our, our friends over at Sideline Interactive. By the way, Sideline Interactive got a board ordered from them. Super excited to get cool. that in, get yeah. some pictures of it, show people what it can do. And if you're interested in one of those, visit sidelineinteractive.com. Uh, mention uh, Hoops Forum. I'm sure they'll be excited to work with you. All right. I've heard kind of going beyond the scoreboard of what we've talked about to this point. And I want to talk about it for selfish reasons because I'm going through this right now. In our mm-hmm. program, we're talking and discussing about this. The ultimate outcome, potential for outcome bias, is going back and looking at your previous season mm-hmm. and looking at wins and losses and the potential for you to just start coming to quick conclusions without analyzing what actually is happening. How can you avoid this in making big decisions for your program? I mean, the obvious would be to spend some time evaluating granularly possessions, games based on quality of the decision. Being a skeptic would be how I would describe it. Would be, okay, we won. Okay, we we made some shots in this game. I'm, I'm going to take that. I'm going to bathe in that. Like, wait, great job, guys. Like, I'm not going to, you know, nitpick at, at wins in the moment. We're going to celebrate those as a program and as a team right now and, and move on. In, in your reflection time, look back and almost approach success with the same amount of skepticism or scrutiny as you would failure and ask yourself, okay, if we can watch our opponent and go, oh, man, they made some freaking lucky shots. Well, we don't. <laughs> go back and analyze. What I would want to get to as a team is where we're putting our opponent in dilemmas. Let's just take a tactical example. We talked about like watching a play and like going, okay, great play. Let me watch this. You know, Tony just shared this great play. Let me watch this. I'm going to watch it. And, and like, oh, yeah, it was great. Let me watch it again. What? Wait, let me watch the defense. Did they, you know, okay, well, this guy wasn't out to lunch on defense. Maybe this could have easily been stopped. I would say like, say, let's take a, a small example of, of like a spread ball screen, whatever ball screen defense that the, the team you're playing against employs briefly puts two players on the ball. Like maybe it's a trap or they go over and drop. So for a moment, you know, there, there's, there's a moment where that roller is unaccounted for. All right. And the coach who's coaching through his ball screen defense in preparation for your team says, okay, we're going to guard the ball screen this way. When the roller comes, I need you, the guy here guarding this guy in the corner, to tag the roller, right? Like to to just buy us some time to get back and and contain the ball screen, get back. So you're going to tag the roller. So this is a very simple example of of like, okay, if we run high pick and roll, someone rolls to the basket, guy who's supposed to tag the rollers out to lunch, and we throw it to the roller, like, and he scores, like, I mean, yeah, great screen, great 
decision by the passer, but like that's a botch by the defense, right? You know. Mm-hmm. So, so to me, what I look for when I want to see great play, great offense, great set would be the defense did exactly what their coach to do. Like they followed it to the letter, right? Like with that, we go ball screen, roll, the two on the ball, ta- tag man leaves, and my guy shakes up, and we throw it back and hit the shake man and hit, and hit the three off the shake. That's good design. That's the team. Our opponent did what they're supposed to do. They didn't make a mistake. Coach is talking about you got to tag, get in there, touch him, feel him. They did everything their coach to do to the letter, A plus execution on their part. So their coach would have to evaluate their defense based not on the outcome. That to me is like when, when we talk about what is good in basketball, to me, what rises to the level of good or excellent would be things that we do when the defense does exactly what they're coached to do and we still pay it off. Mm-hmm. We, we, we use that strategy against them. We exploit that strategy for an advantageous um, outcome on our side. I would too, as I looked back on our schedule, looking even like at opponents and to your point of if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, I think there's a level of both are on par at optimal level. They're Mm -hmm. operating on an equal basis. Yes. And obviously talent level may vary slightly there. But to that point, be careful about even when we're playing maybe a much better opponent or a yes. lesser opponent within yes. what you just said. They could have been doing what they were supposed to be doing and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And it still doesn't give you an outcome that's accurate. Yes, 100%. And I, I think there's this mindset that like, no matter what coaches, like I've talked to a lot of coaches and like some of them just can't rest because they believe that there was a path to victory. I just missed it or I made bad decisions. There was a, There was a path to victory Maybe there wasn't, <laughs> you know, like you're just not as good as this team. I, I talk to like coaches often who like, you know, our players don't play hard. They don't compete hard or they don't get after it. And, and I'm like, all right, well, I've watched your team on film and I see sweaty uniforms and red faces. And you may say that, but like maybe you're just not as good. Mm-hmm. Like if if I got in a race with Usain Bolt, it would talk someone go like, man, that guy's not really trying. Like he's not really mm-hmm. running, but like I'm doing my, my best and, but I'm, we're just not as good as this team. I've seen that too, non X's and O's strategy. I don't have any leaders on my team or we, we, ha- we lack, mm-hmm. you know, we don't compete. Those are other, those could be other factors. That's a problem. Not that my guys are lazy or they aren't leaders or they aren't whatever too. So those are yeah. even outcomes that aren't tangible X's and O's or numbers, stats that go along with it that you may yeah. be. Yeah, you don't because great leaders are rare. Great leaders are rare. They're as rare as, as anything. I mean, and and doesn't mean we're, we're going to just throw our hands up and, and not try to develop better leaders and, and make everyone accountable for the leadership of the team. But yeah, like a, just a natural born great leader is is super rare. All right. So bigger picture here. Let's finish off with summarizing suggestions for avoiding outcome bias. I'm reluctant to repeat what I've already said, but I would say that the best way to do it as a coach may be just to develop some sort of rubric for for decisions that have nothing to do with the outcome. So if you're evaluating your defense, don't call it a you know, well, that was a good possession or we did everything right based on you got to stop or don't evaluate a possession 
based solely on we made the shot. Develop a rubric for decision grading that, that we just are evaluating the quality of the decision itself. And don't just accept favorable outcomes and move on. Like, oh, I'm going to watch all our turnovers or all our missed shots and try to figure out what's going wrong with our team or something like that. Like, like yeah, the same things are there on your possessions. You don't turn it over that you do make the shot. So evaluate your successes with equal vigor that you, that you evaluate your failures. I would also maybe for next steps, if you will, like further reading, recommend a couple of books by Annie Duke, who is a friend to sports. She's a behavioral psychologist who was a, had a career as a professional poker player and decided to use the some of these things that we're talking about to, to evaluate her card play, making a decision to hold or check or, you know, all of those things that, that go into that based on, you know, some underpinning qualities of decision. She's got two books, one called Thinking and Bets, I think the biggest takeaway from that, that to our discussion would be we're all as coaches, we're looking for something that has a certain outcome. Whereas in this book, Thinking and Bet, she she advises that, uh, you know, that's that's sort of the thinking out area in of itself that like that's not how you should think about decisions. You should think like this will work. 82% of the time, <laughs> not yeah. not 100. Her mo- most recent book is called How to Decide. And what a better, couldn't have a better title for this series we're doing is like how, how to make decisions based less on emotion and gut and all of those things. Those are some next steps. She would be, be a much more qualified person to tell you how to avoid outcome bias which she calls resulting. That's her phrase for it. Resulting like, Oh, you know, if you say, Oh, what a great defensive possession, huh? you're resulting, mm-hmm. you know, that they just missed a wide open three. It wasn't a great decision, you know, like that you're resulting, you're calling it a great defensive possession based on the result. That's her term for outcome bias, if you will. So th- that's that would be some next steps I would offer. My one thought is be careful about being solely a subjective coach. And be careful also about being solely an objective sure, coach. Absolutely. I think because if you go straight to objective, then you probably can fall potentially more prey to outcome bias. If you go solely to subjective, you can still be, have outcome bias because in the moment you're making a decision based off of what you just saw, saw out on the floor or what's yeah. happening in your program. And you're just wandering through coaching yeah. with a bunch of blind spots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So probably leading one way or the other being about I'm finding out as you get older, being balanced is the way to go. And hopefully that can help you avoid outcome biased. Appreciate all of you who have joined us this week. If you missed any part of the live show, you can go back and listen to or watch any part of it. Visit radius athletics on YouTube to see the full interview, or you can go to any podcast platform and search a quick timeout. And there you'll find the audio version of the show. Thanks for tuning in this week. We'll talk to you again next week on hoops form.